guardian angels and patron saints, pray for us. Well, today being Good Shepherd Sunday, which we hear this gospel reading of Jesus calling to his sheep, uh, today is also a day in which the church asks us to pray for vocations. It is the World Day of Prayer for vocations, as well as being Mother's Day. So many things to refer to and point out and pray for. Uh, but I want to announce, first of all, that today's collection is especially for uh, the aid to vocations, priestly vocations here in our diocese, and tuition for seminarians. You should have received a special collection envelope with your envelopes for that purpose, but any donation that's made uh, can be placed in the regular com- collection basket, and we make sure that those funds are dedicated to support of vocations. And today, uh, as a matter of fact, Mr. Eric Waldeck, who is the seminarian intern here over the past year, he'll, I've invited him to come and just make a report about his experience to the parishes over this past year. Eric just recently received his evaluation anyway. At the end of Mass, he'll have a chance just for a few minutes to offer that report. And I uh, should also mention that uh, here in the sanctuary, Juan Bosque has just mentioned to me he's had his final interviews to enter the seminary, so we have uh, a seminarian here who will be beginning his studies for priesthood in the fall after his graduation from Bishop Ward High School. So we're very, uh, we're very proud of him. We want to encourage him with our prayers as well. The Lord continues to issue his call. He continues to provide for his flock. My previous assignment before I came here to Blessed Sacrament of Christ the King was to uh, serve in a parish down in Emporia, my first experience as a pastor of a Spanish-speaking parish, St. Catherine's. And I only had a year there before I was reassigned again. And at the end of that time, I was expecting, you know, I was expecting several years. A year is a very short time, getting to know a new scenario, a new parish, a new language a new culture. And so it felt particularly futile. It felt like, wow, I I really haven't even had a chance to make an impact. There's really been no effect to my service as pastor here. But I realized that wasn't entirely true when a parishioner gave me, I guess you could say a compliment or an affirmation as she was thanking me for that year. Something that's stuck with me ever since. She said, Padre nos ayudó para callarnos. Father, you helped us to be quiet. To me, that is the role of a pastor who has a responsibility to care for the Lord's flock. Because it is in being quiet that we can hear the shepherd's voice. It's not my voice that we're listening for. It's the shepherd's voice. It's the voice of Jesus. To the extent that I am a faithful pastor, a faithful steward, I'm pointing to the Lord, not to myself. I'm 
quieting the distractions and the noise that can get in the way to the best extent that we are able so that we can hear the voice of the shepherd, the still small voice of the Lord. So that is something that I return to when I'm feeling particularly ineffective as a pastor. It's a compliment that, uh, that means a lot to me. One of the things that uh, this past week caught my attention was a parishioner, primarily a parishioner who attends our Spanish-speaking masses, who asked to sit down and talk with me about her experience of the Triduum. The Triduum, those Holy Week services, Holy Thursday, Good Friday, and the Easter Vigil. She asked for an appointment. I said, well, it depends on what you want to talk about. If it's something good, you know, I can probably get you in on Thursday. If it's a complaint, it's probably going to be until about 2024. I'm all booked up. I'm sorry. No, not a complaint. I just have questions. Great. I'd like to have a conversation. So she asked, you know, I went to the Triduum. And I was very frustrated because I couldn't understand what was happening. The music was different. It was in a language I didn't understand, Latin. And I wasn't really allowed to sing along or to participate because I was so unfamiliar with all of that material. Same thing happened on Good Friday. And so I decided not to attend at all on Good Saturday. I went to another church on Holy Saturday. Excuse me. And so I began to ask her, what, what was it about that that bothered you, frustrated you? I pointed out to her that, in fact, most of the liturgy was actually in Spanish. <laughs> but that, I think, experiencing Latin and being sort of surprised by what was, what was happening, it threw her off and she became frustrated. What is it then, Father? What, I'm concerned that you're going to take away the music that we know and are familiar with and you're going to replace it with something that we don't know. Does that mean the music that we've had is inferior? Does it mean that the language that we're using to pray is inferior? No, 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 no. That's not what we mean at all. And that's not our intention. The way I explained it was this. Why is it? Why is it that you are so unfamiliar with the music that is part of our own tradition? It's because it's never been tried. You've never been exposed to it. She was a young woman in her 20s. The music that we sang on that Holy, Holy Week liturgy was probably hasn't been sung here for decades, if at all. It was a beautiful experience, but one that was unfamiliar to basically all of us, myself included. And I told her that my hope with that was to begin to introduce us to something that is part of our own family history so as not to forget. St. John Paul II, before he died, wrote in a letter that the musical traditions of the church, the musical art forms that are ours, going back thousands of years, are the greatest artistic treasure that the church possesses. 
greater than all of the beautiful palaces of the Vatican, all of the museums, all of the artwork, all of the treasures, the altar and the sanctuary, all of those things pale in comparison to the musical traditions that we have. And my question was, why is it then that we keep those things in the archives? Why do we keep them in the basement with the silver and the special china and never bring them out? In fact, we welcome a divine guest into our midst each and every Mass, should we not set the table with the best that we have, so to speak. Which is not to say that that's the only way we enjoy the liturgy. It is a beautiful thing that the Church has opened up and given us reason to incorporate many different kinds and styles of music that recognize our cultural and personal histories. Those things are good. Those aren't going away. I don't want them to go away. We need an experience of praising God joyfully, right? of, of experiencing jubilation in his presence, aloud, on our feet, moving with emphasis and beauty. But we also need a, need a time to quiet ourselves so as to hear the voice of the shepherd. Both of these things are part of our experience as Catholics. Both of these things are part of our spiritual tradition. And so, as I explained in this conversation, my hope is not to replace, but to enrich. To begin the process of familiarizing all of us with our beautiful riches, the abundance of beauty, the treasures that are just within reach. One of the things that I also mentioned was the use of these ancient languages, the language of Latin in our music. And that's something I mentioned here with you as well because one of the things that I've noticed as pastor and that I've mentioned many times before is that I'm, I'm in effect, pastor not of one, but of two parishes here at Blessed Sacrament. There's a Spanish-speaking parish and an English-speaking parish. There's a nice mix here today. We have representatives from both communities, but it's rare, beyond the sale of food after Mass on Sundays, that we have much meaningful interaction. And how is it that we can perhaps experience our unity as, a, as the people of God here, within the worship of God? One or, one or the other group is going to be uncomfortable praying in the language of the other. Spanish-speaking families struggle to come to the and enjoy and pray in a meaningful way in an English-speaking liturgy. Likewise, those who speak English struggle. I don't understand what's going on. I, don't, I can't follow along or participate. And I mentioned Latin. Well, perhaps Latin is a way in which we can all be equally uncomfortable. Not favoring one or the other, but identifying a way in which we can all experience what it means to pray together. Latin being the language of our mother, the church. 
In future weeks, we're going to have opportunities perhaps to try that out, to experiment. Maybe on first Saturday Masses, maybe on our patronal feast day of Corpus Christi, a beautiful celebration that many of our English-speaking parishioners can't really enjoy. It's a beautiful day. It's a beautiful Mass. Kids who just made their first communion, dressed in their suits and dresses. Our procession around the neighborhood, adoration of the Eucharist. It's hard for everyone to enjoy that together without picking one or the other or repeating everything such that we grow tired and frustrated at these efforts towards unity. All that's to say, I think we are being called and invited to put into practice some of these gifts and experience them, not to replace what we know, but to enrich what we know and to maintain a connection with our own roots and our own past so as to be quieted, so as to hear the voice of the shepherd, to still the passions of our souls, the many distractions and attachments, the many appetites that well up from within us and cause us to be unable to pay attention or focus or sit still, so as to pray, so as to rest in the presence of God and his peace. So two promises I want to make just in conclusion. Two things that I want to emphasize. Two rules that I have tried to follow in everything that I've, that I've done and will continue to do. And the first is that I promise never to impose my personal preferences on the people of God. I promise never to impose my personal preferences on the people of God. I have them just as you have them. But my guide is not what I happen to prefer, but in fact, the liturgy of the church as it's been handed down to us. This, this book here that we pray for every Mass, this missile, this is the guide of that young woman who came and spoke with me because we were able to work some things out and come to a deeper understanding. And that's the second thing that I want to promise you, or maybe explain about how I tend to try things. Give you a little glimpse of how my mind works. The second thing is that my approach is to give you an experience of the thing first and then talk it through. I want to not just talk about something, but do it, try it, hear it, experience it, and then process. 
rather than speak about it, teach about it, and then possibly never do it. And I realized one of the things that that could communicate is that we're just going to do it and I don't want feedback. In fact, the opposite is the case. I want to try something, experience something, present something, introduce something to you. Something from that great treasury, that great storehouse of beauty. And then here, what do you think? How did that, how did that strike you? What effect did it have? Was it good? Did it frustrate you? Did it lift you up? I want to know those things. But I want to know your experience, not of an idea, but of a reality. Something that's actually happened. So those are the two things that I really want to follow and, and hold fast to. The journey to the truth is an experience. 